Look, I I say yeehaw. I say hoosier. Michael Lavery. When it comes to not knowing things, he and Steven are top of the line. Steven Reinman. Working on a two-day hangover, so my brain is... Brilliantly uninformed. Uninformed. Michael Lavery. Steven Reinman. Brilliantly uninformed. Listen up. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliantly Uninformed. My name is Steven Reinman. I am joined, as always, by my co host, Mike Lavery. What's going on, Mike? Oh, not too much. I'm a little like. I have like a weird hangover, but not like I had edibles for the first time in like 10 years. Um, last time I did, I had a really bad trip, so I haven't in a long time, but a dispensary opened down the street from me. So uh, I have like a weird hangover today, but it's not like a, a uh, alcohol hangover, but I'm I'm pulling through. Is this a hangover from 420 still or are you? No, I had it last night. Like I had oh, edibles okay. last night and I was the guest I wrote to have on. J- Jacob was on. Yeah, Zoom call with a bunch of overstated MBA people, and I was going to go on, but uh, I I crashed too early because the edibles kicked in. There you go. Well, you buried the lead there. We got a we got a very special guest on today. Um, someone I've been wanting to have on since we literally started this podcast. He was my second request. Sorry, Jacob, but um, we have Jacob Birkenshaw here from the Overstated Podcast. All of them. Thank What's you. On, Thank Jacob? you for. Yeah, it's it's good. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm always happy to be the bridesmaid. That doesn't upset me in the slightest. I'm well, not going to feel bitter about that. It was Brett first, so don't feel bad about it. I don't feel bad about that. It's it's fine. <laughs> so what's going on? I'll tell you what's going on, Stephen. The fucking I don't even know. <laughs> I didn't even think. I didn't even think of one. No, you know what? I'm going to respond to something you said. Okay. That is that the Beatles are fucking trash. Yeah. <laughs> and, yes. and the fact that Liverpool and the Mersey Beat scene is claims itself as a music mecca is just the most nonsensical bullshit I've ever heard. The Beatles do not make good music. They make pop music for an audience which is just like it's the people that watch friends and think friends is a good show it's boring yes. music for boring people yes. is, is this um like a, a general feeling with people your age from from out there or is just is this a solely a jacob idea like like you know here as our parents grow up we we don't like their music is it the same type of thing where like your whole generation is kind of sick of them no i don't i think they're still treated with very much the same reverence I'm assuming Americans treat people like Elvis or maybe Michael Jackson is too recent, but it's very similar to that where, you know, it's, it's the, um, you know, the Michael Jordan effect, the Will Chamberlain effect where they are 
older. No one's really was around to see them at the time. They're just treated with reverence as this kind of pioneering supergroup that, you know, they're not better than the Beatles is a common refrain when, no, they, they most likely are better than the Beatles. Most bands are. Well, I don't yeah. know if you heard, but they are bigger than Jesus. So, I mean, that's that's not surprising. <laughs> most things are bigger than Jesus. What is the... So for people over there that don't necessarily like the Beatles, what is like the most famous, like most popular British music group? Uh, obviously, obviously Queen, the greatest band of all time. Uh, it probably is. Queen is up there in terms of fame. I was never that big a fan. I think probably bands like Led Zeppelin are up there. There was the big four of the Beatles era with the Kinks, um, the Rolling Stones, and the Who. They're also up there. The Who might be like person of person, the best of all of them. But yeah. uh, you got the Smiths, you got the Stone Roses. A deeper cut might be the band like The Fall. That's mm-hmm. probably my favorite one. And then you got modern bands obviously the arctic monkeys are very big but they're very middle of the road rock but they're very big oasis blur bands mm. like that joy division there's a lot there's a lot of music michael everywhere and they're <laughs> all better than the beatles yes um so <laughs> since you're a basketball guy steven's original um take was he compared them to wasn't was it bill, bill russell? russell yes and you said both of them were weren't as great as they make it out to be do you Absolutely. feel the same about uh, Bill Russell? That's that's a that's a ridiculously bad take, Stephen. What the oh fuck no! Is that? <laughs> I knew you wouldn't like Bill, it. Bill Russell. Now, if you'd said Wilt, I would have been on board. But you said Bill Russell, which is just a trash take from a trash Texan. I'm not surprised. <laughs> no, think about it. Bill Russell. We're gonna. I'm gonna rehash this. Bill Russell played in an era where nobody was good yet. I mean. It, it, they were basically just out of the peach basket era. Um, he was playing against plumbers, so I don't count his dominance. Sure, was he the best you, of his time? Sure. Just like the Beatles, they you, were the best of their time. Have you seen Nate Thurmond in a jersey? He is like he's like David Robinson, but if David Robinson was more jacked, he is, is like a that, mountain of a man. Is it like that old-timey muscle body where it's the big barrel chest and they, they put their two fists up in front of each other? Like the old-timey it's, boxers? And it's more like it's more like, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but oh. not quite as balloonish and ridiculous. <laughs> and the thing is, right, you, you lay it out like that. Just to roll through a handful of the players Bill Russell played, Will Chamberlain, Nate Thurman, uh, Zelmo Beatty, that is three players that he would have played against. And for the majority of his career, that was the, including himself, those are half of the starting centers in the NBA. Yeah. So for 40 games, at least he was playing elite Hall of Fame level talent at his position. So no, it's, you feel shit. Yeah, like <laughs> he didn't have a, a Kelly Olenek to go against. Yeah, he didn't have a Mason Plumley. To rack up rebounds against, don't or, don't give me this, Bill a, Russell. What the a, fuck? Or a Doey Jokic. He didn't have him to go. The Doey Jokic, the M- the MVP. You mean? Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. not Steph. Mm. No, not Steph. No. If he'd played like he has been the last couple of weeks, then maybe. But 
So no. actually, while we're on the sports topic, there's something that you are definitely more informed than Steven, and Steven is much more informed than I am well, uh, about what's going on. I barely And that's the, that's the Super League. Well, you've been trying to, to watch football. <laughs> I I am not trying to watch football. Um, no, I, I've always... I mean, no, don't, I, don't get I've me wrong. Always, I, I used... I, I watch it sometimes. I used to play, but I just can't keep up with it lately. I've but, always watched um, football. I've never watched soccer. Now I'm getting into soccer. That's all fair. right. Well, that's right. that's fair. Well, t- tell <laughs> us about, uh, I guess, your initial takes on the Super League, which, when we're recording this, got created and also seems like it folded. Um, yeah, within the span of about 72 hours. It was yep. reported and then folded. Um, I mean, it's been in the works for a long time. It's kind of an expected endpoint of you know the capitalist system we live in blah so blah this, blah you're saying it's in take. the works for a long time is this something that like the common man knew about or is this like, like behind the scenes the owners were being secretive no no not not this iteration of it but okay. the idea of kind of all the best teams in europe eventually forming a european version of you know the nfl the nba okay this this has been um, theorized and thought about for a long time, especially since the 90s, when a lot of football, especially in the UK and Europe, was rebranded. They kind of changed the financial model, made it more about generating income. And since then, um, I think, for just for example, the, the transfer record, because obviously, you know, if you know Michael, they don't actually trade, they mm-hmm. pay for players. Mm-hmm. So the record was for the UK, I believe, about 3 million pounds was the record for a signing in the mid 90s and the record now stands around 100 million in the UK <laughs> and globally it's over 200 million is the record transfer transfer yeah. so the, it it's exploded in 30 years and because of that because of the amount of money involved um and because of the ownership changes especially american owners are the ones really pushing for this mm-hmm. because they don't understand the the footballing pyramids. They understand, I want the least risk and the highest profit point. And that is having an American NBA model where my team is guaranteed to play in the league. It doesn't matter how bad the Phoenix Suns are, the Sacramento Kings are, they will always be in the NBA. That's not the guarantee in any football league. If you play badly, you won't be in that league anymore. But owners don't really understand that. Now, I might be wrong. The impression around where I live and um, the people that own the Boston Red Sox also own Liverpool, so they talk about Liverpool yes. more than any. It seems like a lot of people are putting uh, more blame on Liverpool than anyone else. Is that accurate, or is that just a bias around here? That's definitely a, a bias. The central figure in it all is Florentino Perez, who is the president of Real Madrid. He is the figurehead. He was going to be El Presidente of the new federation, and basically it would have become he would have become... It's kind of the Adam Silver. They probably would have appointed an actual figurehead, but he would have been the kind of shadow leader of the Super League while being the owner of Real Madrid. It was his baby. He was the one pushing it. Um, Obviously, Liverpool, FSG, and the Glazers, who I believe own the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yep. Or they did do, at least. Yeah, those... Yeah, there you go. Uh, What's the name? John Henry. I can't remember. There's Mm -hmm. a few of them that own a mixture of... American and English teams, all those guys were very much in cahoots around this. It was actually the the super, super wealthy were the ones that pulled out first. It was the 
the Chelsea because they're owned by a Russian oligarch, um, Manchester City who are owned by uh, the sheikhs, the um, Saudi Arabian royal family. They were the ones that pulled out first because I think for them, the profit point is not a big issue. Mm -hmm. It's more about prestige, especially for the Arabic money. This is a version of soft political power for them. They control a a very important footballing group in Manchester City, in Chelsea, in PSG. These are, um, you know, it's it's a way for them to push themselves to the front of kind of the cultural discussion in the world through the biggest sport in the world. They aren't in it for profit. The Manchester City owners have plowed billions into Manchester City and they will never see a profit from this. Even from the Super League, they would probably have never seen a profit. They don't care. This is pennies to them. It's not an investment. So for them, it was very easy for them to pull out first and, you know, go back, try to rescind everything, get back in the good graces of the Football Association, the UEFA, all the governing bodies. So, and then it just collapsed. Once that happened, the entire idea collapsed. As soon as one one team broke ranks, it was all over for everyone. Do you you think that there, it's, like how hard is it going to be to get back in the good graces? And do you think that there should be some sort of penalty or anything? Well, it's it's entirely unprecedented, totally. Like this has never happened before. Um, it may well never happen again, not the way it happens now. Um, it's difficult because the only sanctions they can really put in place are the ones that hurt the fans, the ones that hurt the players, the mm-hmm. ones that hurt the coaches, none of which were involved in the decision-making around this. So it's like you can take away points or you can um, relegate them. That happened before in cheating scandals in Italy, especially um, Team Juventus, who were a part of this about 10, 15 years ago. They are involved in a big refereeing, um, bribing, cheating scandal, them and a few other teams, and they were all relegated down a division. And obviously that's a big punishment, but it doesn't really hurt the owners because they were back up within a couple of years. They didn't really lose any profits. It just hurt fans and players Mm -hmm. so it's there's not really a way to punish them it's because we're in such unprecedented territory the big thing that's being thrown around is actually donald sterling as Mm -hmm. a kind of a precedent and generally the weird thing is most people talking about that say well i don't really understand the nba but um i know about this donald sterling i watched the espn 30 for 30 around it and the way they got rid of him is maybe a way we can look to try to get rid of the glazers to get rid of fsg john henry these type of people we, there are mechanisms in place to do that i don't know if it's going to be totally possible i know they're talking about legislation government legislation to allow them because before an owner takes over a club they go through what's called a fit and proper person's test which basically means you're not a complete scumbag, although obviously all these people are. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that has banned other people like um, sweatshop owners from Thailand. He was banned. There was a guy who kind of had, he was a billionaire, but it was all through sweatshops in Thailand. He bought a club and then he wasn't allowed to actually become the owner because they found out he just ran sweatshops. So that they could retrospectively do a fit and proper person's test and say, you know, bringing the game into disrepute, you have to sell the club. Um, they could do a 50 plus one rule, which is where 50% plus one share of the club has to be owned by the fans. So they have a controlling stake. That may well be passed into legislation. We'll see. But 
like I say, there is literally no precedent. Fines are not going to be a big issue here because these all these companies are so wealthy. There's there's really not much they can do. Honestly, are even are even the teams that like the fans of teams that were going to the Super League are even those fans like upset by them like yeah. leaving their domestic league? Yeah, I am. I'm I'm a fan of Manchester United. That's where I born and bred fan and I was ready to be like right who am I going to support now because I'm not supporting Manchester United after this mm-hmm. and that most clubs are like that because they're seen as part of the community it's a local thing these you got to remember these teams are 150 years old a lot of them 100 to 150 years old and unlike kind of American franchising these teams don't move I can only think of one time in the last you know, 30, 40 years that a team actually moved. And when that happened, because of the way the footballing pyramid is set up, the people that lived where the team was from, which is Wimbledon in London, they set up a whole new team called AFC Wimbledon. And now they've risen up the ranks of the footballing pyramid because you can do that in England. You know, there's an, it's not a closed circuit system. You can, theoretically, one of us could start a team. We could pay to start a team in the lowest tier of English football and rise to the Premier League if we wanted to. So that's so. If philosophically, it very much disagrees with how we are raised in supporting teams, in that we believe in the idea of the footballing pyramid. We believe in the idea that you know you cannot the the American model of franchising, the American model of just having a league of set teams that is a big no-no for fans of any club at this point. And most of the big clubs at this point, they are more day-tripping clubs. So it's like, you know, a a family from South Korea coming to London will go see an Arsenal game. And that's kind of who Arsenal is directing. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's who Arsenal is directing their marketing and their match their experience towards. They're not directing it towards the local who lives in Islington just down the road and is a diehard Arsenal fan. So there has been this disconnect for a long time between local fandom and these mega club corporations that is just kind of exacerbated by this whole situation. And because of that, I think most people probably would have stopped supporting them. And I think that might be why so many of them balked at the idea to actually pull the trigger. Yeah, I was... I was excited. It was finally a way out for me. I this year I started watching. <laughs> and I was like, "Good, I don't have to support Tottenham anymore." Because that was, you know, the only reason I started following them. Because a buddy of mine who got me into it was like, "Yeah, I'm I'm a Tottenham fan." So I was like, "Okay, well, I'll I'll follow Tottenham. I like Harry Kane. I like Son. Awesome." And then this year it was just. I told Mike, I, "I'm the kiss of death." Because as soon as I started watching this year. They were they were awful. <laughs> I mean, if it makes you feel better, Tottenham are very much like the Sacramento Kings. Oh boy, of of football <laughs> in that they are a, they are a, a grand old club, but they are of the like eight big clubs historically in English football. They are the worst. Yeah. How did you end up a Man U fan? Is it like where you grew up? Was it family? Oh, born and born. So my 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 whole family is from Manchester. Um, my granddad was supporting them back in like the fifties. His dad was supporting them earlier than that, all the way back to before they were called Manchester United. We're very um, in the family kind of following, you know, the whole family follows it. It's a very, you don't so much change who you are. Like some people will 
be born a fan of Chelsea, grow up and become a Tottenham fan, but that is very rare. Generally, you just it's very tribalistic. You're born into something, you support it. Yeah, oh, we don't not- like that here either. We don't like bandwagon fans. It's like well, I'm I'm stuck being a Texans, Rockets, and Astros fan, no matter how bad things are right now. I'm still still stuck with them. You say that, but yeah. I see you rocking Nets gear all the time on Facebook and stuff. You you absolutely <laughs> do not. <laughs> do, do you guys think? I mean, I I don't know. I don't think owners would ever allow it. But what is there a league in the United States that? would be better with a relegation? I mean, I think all of them probably would be, but is there one specifically you think that could use regulation? Relegation, I mean? Uh, I would actually say because of the structure already in place, probably baseball. Yeah. Because there are so many clubs. Because you got, like, the way football is structured over here, it's kind of like baseball with AAA, AA, single-A as kind of, but professional level, like more professional than those ranks. Mm -hmm. But it's if... All those AAA, AA, single A clubs were their own individual teams. Well, they're, who, they're affiliates. Yeah, but yeah, but that doesn't it, exist over here. You don't have affiliate clubs, right? It's more like the NBA and WNBA, where like the WNBA is supported like financially by the NBA. Those AAA teams, they they're not able to support themselves. They they basically <laughs> get paid through the their affiliates through their their major league club. So they yeah, would, they I know I know what he means though. Like the structure is there. We use it right oh, now as a that. as a talent growing system. But there there is a way that they could make it so there was. And yeah, you could. I mean, I mean, I'm guessing the AAA, AA, they can't sell television rights themselves. Yeah, right. Like if those right. clubs could sell television rights, merchandising, um, sell players onto other franchises, if they could, you know, develop revenue streams, they could become self sustaining. Yeah. Whereas. Oh, I- I would support. I love minor league baseball. It's probably, like, I love it more than major league baseball. But I would also love to see like the Kings and the Knicks go down to the G League for a season. I mean, I guess not the Knicks this year. <laughs> no, but, not this year. Um, but I think I think it add, it would add so much drama to the leagues that we watch. Um, it, it makes it, me jealous. It does, just because. Yeah, there's what the major problems with the American model are fixed by relegation in that every game matters there is the idea of tanking i didn't know what it was until i started following basketball kind of religiously i had no concept of tanking because why would you ever want to lose a game but the model in place means that yes you should lose these games because you want to get the number one pick you want to get the number three pick etc that just doesn't exist because if you are doing that you are getting relegated you need to win every game you need to spend money and this was another issue with the super league is that teams can start doing that. Your Tottenham, Stephen, Daniel Levy, the owner, is very much very famous for be, having tight purse strings. Once you're in the Super League, kind of think about it from a financial risk perspective. You get in there. Do you want to spend $200 million every season to maybe be competitive, but your profit margins are quite low? But, and you may end up coming 12th out of 12 anyway. Right. Or... Do you want to spend twenty million? Come twelfth out of twelve, not have that risk of you know you have much higher profits, not really worry about putting out a good team. And for all you know, because football is a very fickle mistress, you may end up doing just as well as you did with the two hundred million spending. Right. So it, it's very very difficult, and because of that, I mean, you got a game theory. It they're not going to spend that money mm-hmm. because why would you ever spend? And that's 
the removal of competitive balance and the removal of the requirement to stay competitive and try to spend and try to build better teams every year disappears with a Super League. So that's that's a real issue I think I had with it from a competitive standpoint. From a financial standpoint, it kind of makes sense and it kind of makes sense from a global standpoint because one of the things I hear a lot, especially from Americans, is how difficult it is to follow all the leagues. Whereas um, yeah, something like the NBA... Yeah, whereas something like the NBA was very simple for me to get into because I'm like, there's only 450 players, there's only 30 teams, that's nothing. That's like following the Premier League. Whereas I follow like the Premier League, La Liga, Serie A, Bundesliga, Eredivisie, um, Ligon, the Champions League, etc., etc. I follow a lot, lot more than that in football. So the NBA felt like a pond by comparison. And that's something I think may draw in more global figures kind of especially for americans where it's a lot easier to follow but fuck it i hate it i hate the concept so basically what i saw was is the relegation and what you just explained it's now the relegation issue is the biggest part because shit i just had a thought and i just had a brain fart um no okay so i saw (laughs) someone in the group posted um they were comparing this to the formation of fifa um, but basically it's the big difference is the relegation is, and, and that seems mm-hmm. to be the big hang up for everybody is the fact that yeah. you there, like you're saying, there's no competitive, you know, there's no competitive fire. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if I can compare it to FIFA so much because those governing bodies like FIFA and UEFA, that's more like, I'm not even sure if I could compare it to like the league office like the NBA league office, because the NBA league office works for owners. And that's kind of how the Super League would have worked. FIFA and UEFA are independent bodies. Now, they are corrupt as shit. (laughs) I hate UEFA and FIFA especially. And basically every major governing body of football is corrupt as fuck and should be changed. But they don't, they're not owned by owners. They're not owned by clubs the way the Super League would have been run the way, say, the league office in the NBA. Adam Silver works for the owners. He doesn't work for the league itself. He works for the owners who are kind of the league. Or should yeah. I say governors? I don't know. But yeah, it's well, it's a yeah. it's a different kind of structure and model. Absolutely. I mean, that's a big complaint from everybody here with the NFL and Roger Goodell is that he's basically just their puppet and he does whatever they want. Damn the fans, damn the players. We'll just... Mm-hmm whatever is best for the owner's pockets is what happens. And I mean, ultimately he doesn't care because they're getting the money that they want. They're still getting the eyeballs on the product. They, they, I mean, there's no downside to what they're doing. So yeah, there's, and there's nothing to be done. It's not like you can, I don't even know how it, I guess the players complained in, I don't know why it shut down. I guess it was the threat of the banning from the world cup and um, international Uh. play. I think that would have become a minor issue. Had they pushed through, that would have become a very much, I think, a smaller issue because these guys would have been getting paid tens of millions every year. They do get paid. The best ones get paid tens of millions every year. A lot more would have. And when you stack that compared to international competition, international competition is seen sometimes as more prestigious, but really it's, you know, it's, it's it's a shit show compared to club football club football is the pinnacle of football international football is just kind of a sideshow attached to it and so 
I think in the grand scheme of things, they would have backed down. FIFA especially were 1,000% going to back down. FIFA wants this to happen ultimately. It's UEFA that didn't want it to happen because they were the ones losing out in European football. They are the big cheese. They control everything. And the Champions League, the European Cup, is the most... It's the, the peak of football. It is the Super Bowl. It is the NBA Championship of football, the Champions League. And if the Super League had happened, it would have basically nullified the Champions League. So you you fans care more about th- these domestic leagues than you would like the, the World Cup, for instance? I think a lot of fans care more about international football. But that's more just out of, you know, national pride, mm-hmm. out of... Yeah. The fact that you can kind of, it's a much more clearly defined us versus them. Yeah. Whereas um, club, but club football is objectively the more talented, more difficult game. You got to think international teams, they play together for maybe 10 weeks mm-hmm. combined every year. The other 40 weeks you are spending with your club team, you are training, there's the tactical changes. You are building teams from, especially the top teams, from multiple international teams. So at somewhere like Manchester United or Chelsea, every player there is an international quality player. Generally, they're one of the better international players for their teams. Whereas you want to build out a 23, 25-man squad for Bulgaria, it's not going to be that high quality compared to having 25 guys for Manchester United, where each one of them is like one of the five or 10 best players for their country or the best player for their country. It's a very different proposition. It's just, you know, it's it's kind of solid. It's kind of taking all the best international players and putting them on a handful of teams, which is what happens anyway. Now, it's just at the top level of club football, that's what's happening. And there is very rarely an international team that could compete with the top, top clubs in the world. There's maybe in my lifetime, there's been two or three international teams that could actually compete in you know 30 years or whatever i very there's no such thing really as especially you go to the world cup and teams like south africa are considered a good team when maybe one of their players could play for a top european club it's a very different proposition um so i have a question about like the real super league the mls uh yes uh... so here they they do a draft system for for rookies mm-hmm. but the over international in in those leagues is it just like every everyone who's not a professional is a free agent no so well no um so what happens basically is you start out as a kid so so like when i was younger i was never a good like i'm i'm a, like I'm like, I'm like an average kind of i suppose it would be like a rec league football mm-hmm. like as a footballer i'm like i'm all right like i've got a very nice left foot i'm i can see a pass but i was never one of the ones who would go and had prospects as a professional but i have had friends quite a few friends who do and generally speaking when you're like seven eight nine um you're playing for your school team you're playing for local youth kind of aau style teams but very low level there's no money in aau football but they will have scouts from clubs coming and they may well recruit you obviously seven eight nine year olds all these teams manchester united they have an under fives team they have an under seven team they have an under nines team you will get yeah you'll get recruited by them you'll go and play with them 
you will rise through the ranks like under 13s, under 16s, so under 18s, in the, under 21s. that same team's pipeline until you yeah. get to the... Okay, interesting. Yeah, or, well, you, you play until 16, uh, 17, you, until that point, you're on like 50 quid a week, 50 pounds, whatever a week. You're getting paid very, you know, nothing, but you're a schoolboy. You're at school, you're getting paid a kind of just... We'll pay you to come train with us. Um, if you need to move, we'll pay for you know transfers of you if we actually want you in our system, all that kind of stuff. But once you reach 17, you're legally obliged to sign a professional contract. And at that point, you could be on anywhere from £50,000 a year to a few hundred thousand pounds a year at 17. And then from there, it goes up and up. And you know you keep signing contracts. Contracts are very much... It's not set in stone like American sports. Every time you move, you can re- you have to renegotiate your contract. You can reject. So every player has a no trade clause. Ultimately, they can all reject signing a contract with a different team if they want to. But these team, but eventually you will kind of you'll move through the ranks, or you'll go play somewhere else. Like you can be seventeen, and you can go sign with say I'm playing at Manchester United and Chelsea want to sign me I can just agree to sign a contract with them because I'm under 18 I'm a youth player but if I do that Manchester United will get some compensation I'll okay. get a small amount of money you know it's it's like a draft pick but it's just yep. financial and they and that's just how we work and then there's tiers and tiers of English football it goes down there's four professional leagues then you drop to semi-professional those guys still have contracts. You still have to buy them if you want them. You get down to amateur ranks. It's fine. They're free agents. But free agency doesn't really exist in football apart from players. They run out of contracts. Then you can pick them up for free. And But that's not really a thing so much. All right. Okay, this is my last question. And then, Stephen, you might have some too. But So this whole Super League fiasco, is there some way <laughs> I can spin it to blame LeBron? who is part owner of Liverpool. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think probably you could spin it to blame LeBron. I don't I don't know. Does LeBron make a lot of money from Liverpool? I don't know. I think he owns like 2%, uh, so I don't know how much he uh, would make from that. Jake, you, you, can blame, you can blame LeBron for anything. Let's get real. Yeah, you can. <laughs> you can, realistically. Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. LeBron. It's all his fault. Do you have any anything else on this topic? Um, I have no more soccer questions per se. Um, I did have a little pop quiz. Oh sure. Yes, so not, I mean, it's sort of related. You've named about a thousand different cities in the UK so far, just in that in the thirty minutes we've been recording so far. I think um, I've named three, but yeah, well, ahead. that's like Manchester, <laughs> Liverpool, and that's it. And, and London. Th- those are the ones that Stephen can name. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I, yeah, I can name like five. So that was basically my question. It's been a post on Overstated before where you bragged about how you could name all fifty states in the U.S. at one point. How yeah, many? How many cities in the U.K. do you think you can name? <sighs> well, first off, first off, how many are there? Do you know? I do not know off the top of my head because a city, obviously that's just defined by status or do you have a cathedral Yeah, is the the definition. I I would definitely miss most of them. I could name probably the most populated places, but okay. yeah, I uh, couldn't name every city. So 
I do think that's interesting. I've talked to people from over in the UK before and they asked me like one of the big things was like, where are the Beatles from? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> Manchester, I guess. <laughs> Ooh, like three that's, 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 I don't that's know dark. any of them. So yeah, Manchester, that's a big no, no to say. Well, how many, well, just a little fun one. <laughs> what is the oldest city in the UK? Do you know? Um, I do not know the oldest city in the UK. I'm going to guess total slight educated guess at Winchester. Nope. So no? little, I've got it up on Wikipedia here. So take it what it's worth. <laughs> um, These probably aren't even cities anymore. Like if if, you're looking at, if this if you're looking at the thing I'm looking at, the population is sixteen thousand. I don't know if that counts as a city. Oh, it is over there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the <laughs> oldest. <laughs> so the oldest one I have here, and it's hilarious how old it says it is. The city of London. the The age is time mm-hmm. immemorial. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. As long as the, as long as the Earth has been around, there's been the city of London, apparently. <laughs> well, because we didn't have recorded history until the Romans came, and when the Romans came, there was already the city of London, which is distinct from London. The city of London and London are different places. Oh, well, what the hell does that mean? You just blew his mind. Yeah. <laughs> so the city of London is a small part of London. It's completely different from so the city of London existed for, as you say, time immemorial. It is the eternal city it has existed since the dawn of time and it will exist after the heat death of the universe but (laughs) london itself came about when the king i can't remember which king it was basically he wanted to control london because it was the most powerful place it's where you know most of the money went through the city of london so he set up westminster the city of westminster which is just down the river from the city of london and he was basically saying like come on join us you know Hmm. come be a part of us and city of London was like, no fuck off. But the city of Westminster kept growing and kept absorbing other villages until it totally encompassed the city of London, similar to like the Vatican. Mm -hmm. And so it just kept growing, but because the city of London was so powerful, so financially powerful, the King never kind of was able to annex it. And the people who lived there were so rich and wealthy that it was, it was a big no, no to kind of send the army in so eventually they just kind of came to an agreement where the city of London, which is controlled by guilds and merchants and banks at this point, it's just controlled by banks, but it was, um, yeah, they had to like, the queen has to get permission to travel into the city of London That's from the guild leaders. Yeah. And it's totally different. They have different police. They have different laws in there. And you know, if you ever visit London, you will see there's logos for it everywhere. Once you actually enter the city of London, which so is pretty close to where I live. So it's like Washington DC, basically, where they have their own laws and they're run by banks. Yeah, yeah, basically. Oh, okay. Got you. Except, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So another thing we wanted to talk about today, because I'm not going to ask you to name all 36 cities. There's no way. Um, <laughs> there's some ridiculous names in there too. But one of the things we wanted to talk about today was your favorite people in the world, the royals. Um, yes, yes, the non cunts. <laughs> My first question, um, why do you still have a queen? Um, because British laws have existed for a long time. We don't have a constitution as such. We don't. We, we, there is no such constitution. It's more of a patchwork of different laws, different ways to interpret the law. Um, 
but the queen has had very little power for a long time. At this point, it is ceremonial entirely. Fun fact for you guys, the last time a royal ever exerted actual strong political power was 1702. So no royal has done anything. Obviously, they have soft power. They can influence people through being very rich. But the last time the queen actually made any decisions was 1702. And since then, it's been just like the, we, we pay them a stipend to be themselves. Um, we just It's just tradition, ultimately, at this point. And it's now I think it's totally disgusting. I think it's kind of ridiculous that in a supposed democratic society, in a supposed meritocratic society, you have uh, inherited power, you have kind of this inherited mantle of being the divine right of kings, of being ordained by God. It's ridiculous and laughable. And there are economic arguments to maintain the royal family because uh, of the financial um, kind of the royal family is supposedly brings in about seven billion pounds every year in tourism. We pay them maybe a hundred million, and that's because the king at one point was broke, uh, but he needed to still pay for wars and pay for hookers and other things kings want. So um, he basically sold all the all the king's land, which is a lot of the country. He sold it to Parliament, the government, you know, like Congress, mm-hmm. the Senate, whatever. He sold it to our Parliament. And then said, right, I'm going to give you this. You make all the money from this land. You just give me a bit of money every year to live off. And that's how I'll repay my debt to kind of the government, to the banks. And yeah, that that land generates. And that's, you know, the castles, Buckingham Palace, all that stuff is all owned by the government. That makes like seven billion pounds a year. And I think the queen makes is given like 28 million per year or something. Just to sit there and diddle little kids. Yeah, and they just also this, do like yeah. diplomatic visits and stuff, right? Is that like yeah, yeah, to Commonwealth countries? They generally yeah go and visit. So them recently, and... um, I mean, I don't even know if she's if she's still what to address her by, but Meghan Markle, um, nothing, yeah, went on Oprah, just nothing. <laughs> well, like, do do they? What do they? What do they lost their title? They they okay. lost their titles. Yeah, you address point, her. You address her as Meghan Markle. That's what you address. Of her. suits, she was, of family she was, suits. She was, yeah, she was always called Meghan Markle because Britain is incredibly racist and wouldn't <laughs> recognize her kind of colloquially as, I don't, I'm not sure what she was, like a duchess or something of somewhere. We didn't really recognize. It's still Prince Harry. He's just called mm-hmm. Prince Harry, but it's Harry and Mar- Meghan Markle. Well, actually, now that you mention it, so Stephen was asking you about cities. Like, How many of the like duchesses and stuff like that would like someone know the name of? Um, that's a good question. I'm not sure because I don't know too many counties, honestly, because counties are kind of useless. They don't, they don't mm-hmm. set their own laws. It's not like states where, you know, they have their own seats of power. They're, that doesn't exist in for counties. It's just kind of tradition at this point, all the shires. Um, I would know, like, if you told me, like, he's the, you know, the Duke of Gloucester or the Duke of Cornwall or I don't know what the actual titles would be, I would know where it was. But I wouldn't like. There's no real reason. They're all just ceremonial titles. Yeah. Like no one actually knows. Like Prince uh, William, the son of the Queen, is it? No, Charles, the son of the Queen. I don't know. One of the did one of the kitty fiddlers, <laughs> who's the son of the Queen. He is the Prince of Wales, 
but that was entirely to kind of try to mend fences with Wales by sending one of the princes over mm-hmm. to, you know, I'm the Prince of Wales. Let me, you know, I represent you guys. And it's, it's all bollocks. It doesn't really exist. So uh, Megan recently went on Oprah and those, yes. uh, it was covered a lot in the U S what was the, like, how did people in Britain feel about that interview? Um, I mean, for, for me personally, um, I, believe everything she said was true it did not surprise me in the slightest um at the same time it's kind of girl you married a royal mm-hmm. from like a very rich very white family yeah from like the granddad of your husband supported the nazis and yet you are like Wait, you're really? surprised oh yeah prince old um what's his name phil phil his um his sister was married to a Nazi and he oh. actually supported them until it became um politically kind of impossible to do it once war broke out. Then he fought Fucking against cancel them. culture. Right? <laughs> cancel Prince cancel Philip. No, we can cancel him for kitty fiddling. But it was um yeah, I, I would say mm, I think there was from kind of the more moderate, sympathetic parts of the country, there was sympathy for what Megan went through, there was kind of disgust at the Royals. But I think for a lot of people, a lot of more kind of nationalistically minded people, because she is a foreign princess, because she is not white British, I think there was a severe backlash of people basically saying, you know, you know, in that way, like it's, it's fine for me to make fun of myself, but it's not fine for you to make fun of me. Yeah, like it's fine for me to make fun of the city I come from, but if you do it, then fuck you. Yeah. I think a lot of people kind of felt that way about Meghan Markle saying what she said about the royal family. And yeah, then there was a pushback. But but honestly, the way um, Meghan Markle was treated in the media was pretty, pretty racist to begin with. So Oh, you it, mean by Uncle Piers? Well, yeah, do people like Uncle Piers, Piers Morgan? Yeah. <laughs> like Piers Morgan and the Daily Mail, The Sun these tabloid papers which i suppose is it's like like the new york post i think is like yeah an american mm-hmm. equivalent or i don't know whatever fox news is the probably the best yeah there you go yeah it's it, that those type of places like they like if you you can look up kind of the editorializing between her and um what's her name the one that's married kate middleton the one married to william the actual one that will become king and you see kind of the same basic thing like they start merchandising themselves like they have lines of merchandise around kind of their their duchesses just to you know generate some income or you know but then sometimes they give it to charity blah 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 i don't really care but they treated like um kate middleton like very smart look she's given all this money to charity they treated Meghan markle like she's a money grubber like you know she's doing this what a bitch you know trying to make more money out of when she's already married to a royal, she should be thankful for it. It yeah. was it was gross. It was really mm-hmm. gross. So I'm I'm not surprised. How do people feel about Piers Morgan's over there? Like, is he popular or is he kind of the way we see Fox News? Yeah, he's a complete joke. He's a complete. Obviously, there's people like with Fox News where they're like, oh, he he tells it how it is. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, yeah. they're just trying to cancel Piers, but he is seen as a complete joke. I don't know what the equivalent would be. I don't know Hannity. I okay. guess. Yeah. No, it's, people think Tucker. Carl, people think Hannity's I mean, a joke. Mm-hmm. People uh, must do right. Yeah. I mean, well, 
fifty percent of the country does. But <laughs> that's 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 weird. So speaking of those like Fox News type things, um, one thing that's been really big in the news this week was the Derek Chauvin trial. Um, yep. He was found guilty on all charges, and we've seen a lot of shootings around the United States. What is the gun? like the gun policies in the UK or like just in general with the public feeling on, on guns and gun safety. Uh, it's, we feel like we're watching a bunch of insane people shooting each other. Every, like, I think I told you guys before, and I know I told Chase, so I, I don't know if you had him on the podcast, Chase. Yeah. He, oh, he's uh, on mine. Shout out, shout out to boy Chase. Um, basically shock at me saying I've never seen a gun in my life. I don't think I know anyone who's seen a gun in their lives. They the idea of the kind of the gun culture does not exist in the UK and we think it's you know it's it's just insane. It's like if car crashes kept happening and seatbelts were invented and we were watching a bunch of people say, "Well why how do we stop seat how do we stop car crashes happening?" Well don't stop car crashes happening because people deserve to drive cars the way they want mm-hmm. and we're like, "Guys, seatbelts exist." Yeah. Like just wear a seatbelt. What the fuck is going on? Like you are the only country that has mass shootings every day, and yet you don't think there's some kind of correlation between your gun laws and the gun laws in the rest of the world. Like for us, it's such a non-issue and it's such a weird situation that we just kind of I can't really wrap my head around how you people live, right? In that sense, you with the use... same type of pushback with wearing masks here. Was was there any mm. issues with like getting people to wear masks over there? Yes, but on a much smaller scale. Like there were anti-mask marches, there were roll a kind of this pushback, but it was mostly from a very small minority of the population. Unfortunately, our government is. They would have to put it. In very simple terms, our government was very much ready to align with Trump if he won. Mm-hmm. They were they were they lined up everything as if Trump was going to win, and they were ready to fall behind Trump very much. Our leader Boris Johnson is just as bad, maybe yeah. worse than Trump, because he does actually he is a career politician. He does understand the machinations of politics and can man- manipulate them better than Trump could. But he is the exact same type of person. He's a disgusting human being. Mm. And so there was very much misinformation coming from the government, poor responses coming from the government, a lack of information from the government, which fed into kind of anti-mask, anti-vaccine, you know, COVID. What's the word? What was the thing that was going around at the time about, I can't remember, there was like a portmanteau about covid pandemic and plan pandemic yeah the great pandemic that yeah. was a little thing for yeah. a while but not like in america bill gates is putting nanobots in our system yeah that kind yeah, of yeah 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 oh yeah. my god yeah <laughs> so i don't know if i said this on the air or yeah i think i did um that i like went to the dispensary yesterday mm-hmm. oh, yeah. and when i this is my first time going when i walked in they scan your id and then they scanned my wrist Ugh. And in my brain, I'm like, what the fuck are they scanning? Like, I'm like, maybe there's a microchip in me. And then I was like, oh, I think they're taking my temperature with like a laser pointer thing. <laughs> yeah, but, total recall. Watch out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's the so, pandemic. So this week, um, we, we've talked about guns, I think, the past two weeks on the pod. And I had never really thought about it before because, as Jacob has alluded to, I am from Texas. So 
it's just kind of our way of life. Now I have mm-hmm. been going into customers' houses and stuff to do their service. And ever since we've started talking about it, now I actually look at it. They were always there, but every mm-hmm. almost every customer I have has a gun right next to their bed. I mean, I even messaged y'all this week and was like, hey, so it just left this customer's house and this little, the boy was probably eight years old. He had a nine millimeter right next to his SpongeBob SquarePants uh, stuffed animal right next to his bed. And it's, I mean, it's just how it is. But I mean, we never really have any, uh, what's weird is, and this is the argument that you'll hear from the other side, is that we don't have that many mass shootings here because so many people have guns. Nobody's going to, fuck around like even dante said that like if you see a security system in front of somebody's house a little sign you're not going to go try and break into that house i mean that's basically the argument is that if everybody has guns nobody's gonna mess with each other that's their argument yeah but the other side is if no one has guns it's a, it's the exact same part like well how are you going to mess with someone if you don't have a gun you'll find bad you guys get your, you get your scully cap like like the blinders <laughs> Yeah, and what's the worst that can happen? Like, people, there are knife attacks here. There are still people murdered using guns. Yeah. But you look at the pop, I think the the difference is something, it's one thousandth or something like, it's some ridiculous percentage of, or um, kind of fraction of the gun deaths in America that happen here in the UK. It's like one thousandth of the amount. And you think, well, what are the differences here? Well, there's obviously the media plays a part american media is absolutely insane mm-hmm. american history is absolutely insane there is the idea of the manifest destiny um the country is much much yeah. newer and well we got we inherited that well um can you say you inherited when it's the, like all the people that were doing it were the ones that became americans right so it's just americans doing it like admittedly they are the puritanical british who moved and were fucking freaks to begin with that became americans well, yeah everybody germans the the british the irish everybody that yeah made their way over here yeah yeah but there's you know it's it's entirely different kind of culture there's an entirely different kind of the idea of something i've realized obviously being involved in our basketball groups creating the podcast which are they have a huge american audience mm-hmm. mostly kind of we are divided into it's mostly American, and then there's kind of big chunks of Australian and British thrown yeah. in there, and a bit of Filipino apparently. But there you go. But where did, um, where did all these Aussies come from in our group? I have no idea. I, I think basketball's no... pretty big over there. They've yeah, had, yeah. They've, had some, they've had a couple superstars. Yeah. Well, yeah. they got that one old guy. Um, what's his name? Andrew Gaze. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gaze so, was the number one overall pick. They were Ben Simmons. Yeah. Yep. Number one pick. Kyrie. Oh, yeah. Kind of so, technically, yeah, yeah, but but we just we we don't have that culture of um, I think I would call it kind of macho culture. Like, there's not really this idea because I've realized a lot of the pushback is, well, yeah, but that wasn't a very manly thing to do, or like yeah. that wasn't seen as you know this idea of well, you weren't kind of exuding strength in that situation, like Death Wish films, like yeah. that to me, like that almost enca- encapsulates this idea of like. Well, if you don't look tough in front of a stranger, then you know it's a threat to your masculinity mm-hmm. and this kind of very fragile idea that doesn't really exist. Like, obviously, it does exist, but it's not at the forefront of culture the way it seems to be for a lot of Americans. The anti the anti intellectual movement, 
mm-hmm. that seems to be much more pre- like that doesn't really exist over here. But in America, obviously, there's all the pushback on things like analytics and the pushback on you know. Um, well, it's ruining basketball, Jacob. It is well, ruining it's, basketball. It's, it's it always is. been around, but it's definitely something that's got even more um, divided since since Trump came along because he he was so adamant on like being the tough guy and yeah. you know shitting on the signs and stuff and just doing things the, the way they did it in the good old days, which which you're totally yeah. right. And I yeah. I think the disconnect that I have um, with Dante when we talk about this was that just because like we have a right to guns doesn't mean everyone should have the right to guns. Like I'm not opposed to guns in general, even though like I'd prefer if they didn't weren't so prominent, but Mm -hmm. we have no sort of like real states, like nationwide regulations and tracking systems or anything to hold people accountable. It's just kind of state by state. And ideally like we don't want a giant government that controls everything, but when it comes to like weapons it's something that we shouldn't be totally free with. I mean, you can be free without having to shoot your neighbor because they stepped on your lawn or whatever, you know? So no, I think I, it's it's it's, was, it's a bit of a... No, you go, Stephen. Go oh, I was just going to say, following up to your point about the masculinity thing, it's like I have had conversations with, you know, even family members here when they bought a bunch of guns back during the, during the gun rush in 2008. It was, I was like, basically like, they were like, well, you know, it was, you know, they were saying that it makes you more manly. And I was like, how does that make you more manly? Like, well, I can defend myself. And I was like, well, if you can't defend yourself with your two hands, then that's, that's not as manly. Right. And they're like, well, no, no, no. It's, it's not like that. You know, what if somebody else has a gun? I said, well, what if they don't have a gun? No, <laughs> well, we just, we just saw like last week, the same day that the verdict came down for Chauvin, there was a teenage girl, I think she was 13, maybe she was 16, I don't remember. But she was attacking someone with a knife, Yeah. and the cop shot her in the back, as if like that was the the only solution. You know, he has stun gun, he has pepper spray, he has mm-hmm. a partner with him that, you know, collectively they can stop a 13-year-old from from stabbing someone. It's, it's the same type of thing where, I don't know, shoot first and ask for forgiveness later. Well, we saw what happened when someone tried to reach for their taser last week. Yeah. yeah. No, I know. Like, that's yeah. the thing. There, there's no there's no response that especially someone of color can do over here with the police that it can't be justified by the police saying, like, they felt endangered. You know, mm-hmm. whether they reach for a gun, whether there was one guy who told the police officer he had a gun on him legally and, but he's going to reach for his ID and he went and grabbed his ID and the cop shot him. Like, like, I don't know what else he's allowed to have the yeah. gun. He told the cop he had the gun. And even when he didn't reach for the gun, they shot him. Yeah. yeah. So it's just I, like, I, I don't know. I, it's something to me that I don't see problems with regulations. Um, like there's a fair way to do regulations that I just feel like the people that are supportive, like the NRA, that no matter what the, negotiation is they're gonna shoot it down because if they give up an, an inch now they feel like they're gonna be giving up an inch every negotiation yeah um and i think kind of the, the power brokers like the nra and stuff are you know as big as problem as anything see i i like even the idea of negotiating on this seems so alien to me because mm-hmm. the idea of guns itself like my kind of my mental calculus on this is if you cannot give me a utility for a gun, which is not murder, mm-hmm. then 
a gun is not something you should have unless you think capital punishment is something that individuals should be able to dole out mm. then you cannot to me you cannot justify owning a gun in any capacity you cannot justify the creation of guns in any capacity unless you can prove that there is a utility for them outside of murder yeah. well there's there's hunting like i'm okay with people having rifles that they're you know if they have hunt um, hunting leases they just leave their you know you literally leave your rifle out there and then you just use it there you leave it there that's, yeah, that's there, the only places that ever go. There's a difference too between a hunting rifle, an assault rifle, a handgun. Like you're not going to go and hunt deer with an assault rifle if you that do. There's going to be no deer left. You that know? depends on who you're <laughs> hunting with. Well, that's true. <laughs> like in a perfect world, I would agree with Jacob 100. percent It's just for me over here. Sadly, it's a losing battle. That like something where mm-hmm. people are never going to oh, give up yeah. their rights for that. I know. And and at this point, the argument is very much a fair one when they say well if you ban guns ban- guns are just going to be in the hands of the bad guys with guns right at this point it's it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because you've flooded the market with so many guns that mm-hmm. you would never be able to get rid of them all so yes it would just be the people who want to own a gun despite the law despite the moral objections those would be the only people with guns because you have more guns than people to start with you'd never be able to collect them all so it's, if i it's if I gave you the challenge to like go and buy a gun within an hour over there, would you even know where you could go and do that? There would literally be nowhere. It would not be possible. Oh, interesting. You don't have a Stephen. You don't Steven, have a if I either? if I gave you yeah. the same thing and gave you five minutes, Stephen, could you go <laughs> go and buy a five, gun? Five minutes. What do I do with the other three minutes? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could. I could not. I mean, I could. You can get licenses if you're a farmer. Two, you can get a farmer's shotgun to protect your cattle against mm-hmm. like badgers and foxes and stuff. Right. You cannot buy a gun. Like it like the only place I like I can think of where I would go to buy a gun, but I am also an unassuming white guy. I would just get murdered. If I went up to a group of, you know, gangsters in East London and was like, Hey, can I buy a gun? I would just get robbed mm-hmm. and beaten up. Like like I would not be able to buy a gun it would not be physically possible just not at all interesting yeah see i mean it's it's just so it's so prevalent here that the longest part of the process would be me driving to the store to go get it because no. everything <laughs> everything's so far apart here but that's, yeah that's, I mean, what the fuck i know it's so crazy that you walk into houses and there's just like guns They're like everywhere yeah it's it's even more like shocking to me. Like there's a kid in the house that there's he's access to it. Like they don't even lock it up. They don't have it's trigger his. locks, anything like that. Yeah, it's his. Yeah, no, uh, I know. <laughs> what the fuck do you mean it's his? It's his child. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't even he doesn't even hit puberty. Yet. Yeah, you can't drive. And, you don't have a a driver's permit, but you can fucking yeah. buy a gun. You could teach a kid. Like my daughter knows how to use a bow and arrow. That's I mean I taught her that real early but that's yeah not i'm not worried about your daughter getting angry and going on a math bow and arrow spree <laughs> yeah um, yeah that's, that's fine she if she wants to then more power to her <laughs> yeah she go legless on everybody yeah so, yeah it's, she's she's welcome Hawkeye. to do that i would i would i wouldn't i would applaud that if someone <laughs> tried to be a mass bow and arrow shooter so we talked about australia a little bit and i know are y'all either one of y'all familiar with jim jeffries the yep. yeah so yeah. he had a bit where he's talking about how Australia uh, basically banned guns in the entire mm-hmm. country after they had mass shootings there. They were like, well, that 
that's enough of that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if either one of y'all are familiar enough with Australia to know like what have been the what have been the consequences of that. Has it has it been positive? Has it been negative? What's there aren't I any mean, mass shootings. Yes, one one of my best friends actually just she just moved back there last week. Um, she was out here for like two or three years, but I mean they yeah they don't like Jacob said they don't have mass shootings over there, and there there wasn't even that much pushback. Um, there's there's always going to be some, but for the most yeah. part, like people understood that their citizens were dying. And it, it you know it wasn't like they were having them every day every week like we are either right they you had know, one yeah exactly like they they saw the bigger picture that no one's going mm-hmm. no one's going to come take their freedom you know even so like how you know our government are we ever going to use our guns against our government they have drones and airplanes and like i don't know well we did yeah. once about 250 years ago yeah but that was a lot di- <laughs> there was a lot different uh technology yeah, was, back then yeah, that was when it was guns against guns now yeah. you're talking guns against drones like, yeah yeah, yeah. Our government game. uses more money on on the military than every other country combined. Like, yeah, it does. We're not gonna. Yeah. I'm not gonna go out there with Bean and take. We're gonna take down the government. <laughs> Why not? No. The very a very similar thing was actually the consequence of how we, because guns were legal technically, and you could. It was difficult, but you could get a gun license. You could buy a small handgun in the UK up until the mid 90s when the Dunblane school massacre happened where like I'm not sure exactly how many but around 15 20 an entire class of students basically was gunned down hmm. by this you know lone kind of nutcase in Scotland interestingly yeah. i believe it's the same school do any of you like tennis no not really no <laughs> no cuz well just cuz a very famous tennis player andy murray Oh yeah, I know Andy like, Murray. Yeah, yeah know he Andy went Murray, to the yeah. school, which where um, this this gun, the shooting happened. He went there, and yeah, that happened. And the laws were passed the next day, which outlawed private ownership of handguns. And not the next day, but you know, within I think within a year, legislation was passed which banned private ownership of yep. guns. And that that was very much a kind of everyone was like, fair enough, yeah, like you know, let's let's not have this happen ever again and it has not happened ever again but obviously in america it's reached the point now where it's a bit normalized like you i know i I can't remember the actual record but it's it's over one a day like Mm -hmm. mass shooting in america Mm -hmm. is over one per day and once it reaches that point it becomes just part of the air you breathe it becomes part of the cultural discussion that oh yeah that happened thoughts and prayers wait for the next one to happen exactly yeah and once you reach that point you can't stop in the week of the chauvin trial that week that it went on we had 60 just police shootings like in, that's <laughs> what i'm talking about like citizen on citizen but you only heard about three well yeah point. no i know but i'm just saying like that's how prevalent it is that in a week's time we had like i mean what going it was a 10-day trial i think so we had six yeah. six a day <laughs> that's, so i've that's i've insane. one palate cleanser before we we call it a day <laughs> how's memphis doing oh he's he's great we're actually he's about two weeks away from his birthday like one year one birthday. year old yeah he's one year old um mrs b is going back to work soon so we're having to look for people to dog sit him which is a whole thing um he went off the leash for the first time because we are very much like you know mrs b was very like she did a lot of research before and she was like we're not letting him off the leash 
just because of you know loss of control you know it, it's not good for the people around that may not like a dog up in their grill and memphis very much likes to get up in people's grills because he's very much a sociable dog <laughs> so we yeah but we let him off the leash once this weekend he's been loving it he yeah he's finally getting through that bad stage for the puppy where he's slowly becoming a real dog yeah and that's nice it's nice i, I wish i was out there i i own an animal care company i totally would have helped out mm-hmm. it's funny because when i was when i was in edinburgh um everyone just had their dogs off the leash all the time where like here there's some spots where you do it but there's so many spots where um you have to have them leashed but I, I definitely appreciate that you guys kept them leashed because some people don't. And like, if some dogs are on a leash and they're not friendly and the other dog just like strolls right up to it and, or the people, like you're saying, so that's yeah. good. What are you guys doing for his birthday? We're not sure yet. We'll probably take him to doggy daycare. Nice. Cause he, that's his, he is a so dog centered, so dog centric. He's a very, very sociable dog. He's, he's very, very good. Like we're really happy, really actually kind of proud that how good he is, how well he reads kind of situations with dogs. Like he's can play with them. He kind of adjusts to the dog's energy Mm -hmm. and plays with them at their energy level, which is really nice. Just as a little side for all listeners, it's Edinburgh, not Edinburgh. Yeah, I know. Just, just I just to, Americanize it. So that, <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I just, I just, I felt like I had to stop the spread of misinformation. You know, we're never anyway, going to say it right. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you can, you can try. Look, I, I say yeehaw in Texas. <laughs> I say Hoosier God, for your Indianas. I would love for you to come down here. I, <laughs> I should just say, I'll say Leith for now on because that's easier to pronounce. The, the borough, the borough that we were in. The borough um, in Edinburgh. Exactly. So I have a question for you real quick. And if yeah. if you don't want to answer it, we can just edit out me asking you this. Um, <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you wrote a, you wrote something a while back. Um, it was a yep. big, long thing. It was basically how you got into basketball. And yeah. normally I don't like being nice to you. You know this, but. I gotta say, Started. it was one of the most in, one of the most incredible things I've ever read. I don't if you're comfortable basically talking about it a little bit. Do you want to? Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm fine. I'm, yeah, I mean, I, I posted it in a group of you know fifteen hundred whatever amount of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm fine with it. Like the the act is an act of catharsis to deal with the out the the kind of the trauma of it. So yeah, I'm I'm totally fine. Cool, 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 cool. And I'd say like yeah on. February 16th, 2016, I tried to kill myself. And then, yeah, that was like, at at this point, it's kind of a blur, all the events. But then I think it was two weeks later, I actually tracked down the article because it was a Bleacher Report article. And I thought, if I'm writing this, I want to be exact because there is like an exact article, which um, kind of is the train for this. Um, It was like February 28th or something. It was the Steph Curry bang bang game against OKC mm-hmm. and I was just I was working you know kind of going through day-to-day life and I reached that point I was just taking a lunch break and I have followed basketball for a while like I you know I was a big fan of Alan Iverson ironically growing up Iverson and Steve Nash are probably still my two favorite players ever even though I don't think Iverson is that great <laughs> but I, I'd followed basketball for a long long time but you know I'd watch like the 2013 finals, I'd watch, you know, the 2012 finals, the whatever, the 2010 finals. 
I'd watch kind of the big events, the Kobe's, the LeBron's, you know, I knew the Heatles, but I was very much a casual kind of fan when it appeared on the news. But then the article was something like um, Steph Curry continues a magical run. And then I watched the, um, the finish, the bang, bang finish against OKC. And I was like, what the fuck just happened? Like people are taking threes from like 30 feet out and going in. And that's one of the most amazing finishes I've ever seen. I uh, watched it a few times. I watched the full game highlights, went home, watched the full game. And I just kind of, it just became this thing where I just, I kept wanting to watch more and I kept watching more. And as it became, I had this kind of brain click moment that I said earlier about basketball, that this is a 30 team league. There are 450 players. Given my history with football and how much, you know, how easy it is to follow football, how kind of I'm coming into it from a completely different perspective, 450 players, this is a pond. Like, I'm just going to start digging into it because I'm really interested in it now. I'm going to find out as much as I can. And then that digging just kept going. It's like, yes, it's a pond, but it's like so deep and you can just keep digging deeper and deeper. And it became kind of it combined my love of kind of sport with uh storytelling with maths with kind of analytics and kind of thinking logically and trying to think deeply about something and yeah it's just been it's been like five years something like that five six five and a half years now of just digging through it and it's been an amazing experience obviously now with the podcast with you know doing kind of my own podcast within that podcast um everything else around it it's been you know it's been a hell of an experience and we're looking forward to keeping keeping it growing yeah and like absolutely. i've i used to be a sports writer and i've like so i've read a lot of sports articles in my life and like nobody digs basketball like as deep as you do like you're, you're the best at when it comes to like digging deep analytically and historically and stuff like that like <laughs> it's really like a pleasure to to see the stuff that you put together Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's just, it's just, um, it's just because basketball is such a, the NBA, like I know almost literally nothing about college Mm -hmm. or the Euro league FIBA. I don't care. The basketball in the NBA is a closed circuit and it is so removed from every other type of basketball because it's the highest level. It's played so differently to college basketball, to FIBA basketball that it's just this, this closed circuit where, you know, we go back, there's only 75 years of history that's about half of what I'm used to. There's only about 450 players. That's, you know, a tenth of what I'm used to. Like, I can just keep digging and digging into this and finding stuff out. And it doesn't feel like, like, to me, that doesn't feel overwhelming. It just mm-hmm. feels like this is a very simple thing to do. And it's very simple for me to dig. Because I, I did the same in football. Like, I probably still know more about football than I do about basketball. That's just kind of how I go about things. I just try to dig and dig and dig. Yeah, that's I see. I think it's really important to you know because you have those dumb birds like Meryl Streep that say sports are unimportant, that the only arts are the performing arts and things like that, and they just completely discount the impact that sports have on a lot of people. I mean, look at what yep. it did during the during this lockdown and the pandemic and everything. People were going crazy because sports are such an outlet and they're so important for some people. Like you're saying, there's more to it than just ball goes in basket or ball gets thrown, guy catches it, you know, things like that. There's there's layers to it. It's deep. It's almost like a, a story itself. 
I mean, hell, the, the write-ups that you and Brett do are are incredible. And yeah, Brett is Brett is something else when it comes. Yeah. To, I've I, my degree is in English with a focus in creative writing. Like I've written, you know, novels. I've written screenplays, poetry, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Brett is such a naturally gifted writer. It's mm-hmm. almost scary. It is yeah. almost scary. And then there's Steve. <laughs> and then there's Steve. Yeah, but Steve is the X factor. Steve, you need you need Steve. He's you the, need you need the energy. You got to keep you the need, train going in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. And if it's just me and Brett talking for like two hours about really no things, if there's no Steve, to just be like, yeah, and also wrestling on the side. Like otherwise, there's nothing. You know, Steve. He's just yeah. He's got that energy. He's got you know. He's just relaxed, and he just. It was so weird. The very first time we recorded. We literally, we logged in to Anchor, I think. We'd never spoken before properly. And me and Steve, we logged in first and we spoke for like two or three minutes. It was just, oh, hey, your accent's funny. Oh, hey, your accent's funny. <laughs> or, no, what's the, what's the Wisconsin? Oh, yeah, you know, your accent's funny too. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I was like, yeah, your accent's funny. And then Brett logged in and I was like, oh, shit, bro, he's Californian. And then... <laughs> we literally just started recording then and Steve introduced us and I was like, fuck, this guy's like, he's a host. What the fuck? Yeah. And then, yeah, we just went through it. It just really clicked. Like that was literally our very first podcast. It's shit when you look back on it, (laughs) but our very first podcast was literally the first time any of us had ever spoken before. And it was just really fun. And then we just kept going. Yeah. Ours ours was the same way. Me and Mike had never, and y'all were, I mean, it was basically right after y'all had started with, I was like, man, I've been wanting to do a podcast for a while, but I never, never thought I could do it. And then talk <laughs> to Mike in the group. And then we, we were the same way. We have never spoken before. And then we just logged on. We're like, Hey man, Hey man. Hey, how's it? <laughs> <laughs> and it's the same way. Our first, I'd say our first few, maybe even, mm-hmm. maybe even still are still shit, but you know, we try, we have fun. <laughs> it's fun. It's it kinda like, yeah, it's kinda like therapy for it. And you know, it, it's it's yeah. nice. So we appreciate yeah. you guys doing that. We we're always yeah. supporting. We're buying our manscaped. We won't we can't do a commercial now, but and, and honestly support. honestly like more more than anything too, you guys like built a really awesome community of like you know, a uh, lot of the yeah. a lot of the women in the group will say that like, you know, it's the most inviting sports community that they are that they've ever been in. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just because, yeah. like, you guys, you guys run a good ship. That yeah. that that's kind of the key thing. Like, I wouldn't, I would never want to be involved in anything. Like, because I I've been in some more toxic sports groups. Oh yeah, and I just want to leave. And mm-hmm. the fact that women come out, like the women in our group, come out and say, like, I feel very welcome here. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's just then people for who are like different backgrounds, people who are across kind of the lgbtq spectrum mm-hmm. that feels safe in our community that is kind of that's more important and being able to build up those human relationships makes it that lets us know not only is it like enjoyable on a human level to have those relationships but that lets us know the community is a healthy one yeah and it's yeah. one that you know can keep growing and people can join and feel welcome in and that's that's almost more important than the podcast, although I am such a nerd, I still probably enjoy the podcast more. But that's yeah. just me being. I, th- a I think bitch. in in the year of twenty twenty, it was definitely more important than than <laughs> the sport itself. But you, it's obviously you guys need to keep doing your thing. Any besides that, but yeah. yeah, yeah, it's yeah, but it's it's just so great because, like you say, like the you know, 
I mean, you guys probably met through the Ringer group, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. originally. No, and no then actually through Overstated. It was through Overstated. Oh, there you, how, did there you find, how did he find it? How did I find Overstated? I was a part of the Ringer group initially. Oh, yeah, I think that's yeah. what he means, though. Like, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like the first time you guys talked. And but, obviously, to have yeah so many people just kind of build these relationships, build these communities around it, it's just, it's just awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, man. We appreciate it. And, yeah, uh, thank you we're so me, glad yeah. that the podcast is doing well and you guys are getting big advertisers now and you know all the pages <laughs> are blowing up I'm, I'm very happy you started a pop culture page yes. um, oh yeah so yeah yeah i have so many things to get off my chest there so yeah yeah i, I thought it probably helped just to have because so many people want to say not basketball related but mm-hmm. i'm like let's just make something where we can just talk about shit that's going on in culture in film yeah. oh i watched this cool thing i you know any anything it's kind of meant to be a miscellaneous group yeah and it's it's definitely been one of the most successful first days and kind of blow-ups in our group i think it's up to like 150 members in 24 hours that's nice. more than the football group which <laughs> it hurts, hurts your soul. My, which hurts one? my soul it deeply deeply hurts me which the actual group? football steven not yank not yankee hand egg not well, you know what, you know what i learned yesterday that what? The, the UK they called it soccer until the 1970s. They did, yep. yeah. I didn't well, know that. Well, soccer because it comes from an old style Victorian thing where you would say you would take a word and you would just kind of cut it down and add er to the yep. end, and so it's association football. The association, the sock in association became soccer, and yeah, from there it became a whole thing. Same with like rugby. I mean, rugby literally started in the town of rugby. But oh yeah. <laughs> sports am i right but then you guys took it like the like the imperial measurement system you guys took it when we when the rest of the world realized it was shit you guys kept it up for a long yep. old time classic america the villains of the world exactly. global hegemony yes we're the bad guys i love it well, <laughs> well, we that, that, was, that was actually just for a f a thing i didn't want to throw it out as my hot take because i didn't think it was a hot take my first thought was um america will go down as the villain of history yeah that was my first (laughs) i mean but i was like you know what that's actually just kind of the truth that's not even yeah i can't i can't dispute that right now i'd say that's recency bias that's just recency bias it depends how long the timeline's gonna be you know that's true yeah i mean i'm I'm thinking the way we look back at rome and we say was rome the villain of history probably less so then no. America, I think no, America it... will. No, yeah, America will go down as worse than Rome than the Romans. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you yeah, all just... had a y'all had a hell of a run there for a while, but now we, we had a great <laughs> run. Just to point, we had a hell of a run, an underrated run. Honestly, our past seventy five numbers were yeah. I was gonna incredible. say like the PER, yeah. That it's it's that's through Kareem. the roof. That's Kareem style longevity are... right there. We are Kareem-esque. What we did in India was a work of grotesque beauty. Steven, I think that's what he's saying. They're Kareem. We're LeBron. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're definitely LeBron. And LeBron is the villain. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. That's yeah. the Super League. <laughs> <laughs> you, are, you are the Super League. We are the UEFA, the old corrupt institution. <laughs> well, Jacob, right, well, that, slash yeah. Bob. We have, we loved having you on. We look forward to having you on again whenever the next yeah, yeah. Uh, soccer um, thing happens. Well, you know the World Cup. We'll yeah, have the World Cup. 
soon. Well, we could... No, where's the Euros? I can't remember what's going on next. Some terrible international tournaments happening. See, that's the issue. There's too many things. Yeah, that's that's part of the fun. It's not just about winning them rangs, Stephen. No, no. You got so much to do, so much fun to have. Yeah, no, I've tried it in FIFA. It's not that fun. <laughs> you'll you'll enjoy it when believe me when Tottenham finally win something, you'll enjoy it. I but do they not. won't ever. I already told you, Tottenham. I'm I'm switching to the Wolves. That's who I'm. Uh, I'm the switching. Wolverhampton Wanderers. Yeah, you can. They they have a lovely fetching orange. You'll enjoy it. I will. Yes. All right, boys. I'll have a good one. All right. All right. Later, guys.